And uh, we kind of got started with this uh, portion of chapter 2 uh, last time. So if you'll turn to Second Peter chapter 2, continue to look at this matter of false prophets, false teachers who secretly introduced destructive heresies, as it says back in verse 1. But, as, but there are false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And uh, we've uh, Peter has given us really a kind of a blistering uh uh, blistering words against these false teachers. He's coloring the portrait with their characteristics. And last time we began with their presumption, and uh, then we looked at their practice. And we looked at verses 10 uh, through 14. So that brings us down to verse 15, and we look at their premium, their premium. Verse 15 and 16 says, Which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Now, when we talk about the premium, their premium, the word premium according to our dictionary, would be an inducement to do something. It's a, it's a, uh, a, a reward, a prize, a payment that motivates someone. Uh, they have motivation and uh, the certain premium that they're after. That's a certain prize or reward, a payment. And we learn back uh, what it was back in verse 3. Their sensuality drives them uh, in verse 2, and it says in their greed, in verse 3, they exploit you. The premium uh, for them is personal gain. Uh, they're in it for what they can get, what they can gain. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of this fellow by the name of Balaam, but he's mentioned three times in the closing books of the New Testament. Here in 2 Peter, we notice it's the way of Balaam. In Jude, it's the error of Balaam. And it is the doctrine of Balaam in the book of Revelation. Now, each one has a little bit of difference to it. Uh, but uh, what is this way of Balaam? Well, Peter says uh, he is the son of Bozar who did what? He loved wages of unrighteousness. He knew that uh, he should not go and prophesy against Israel, but he loved the price that was offered him. He loved the money. Now, some people will do anything if the price is right. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you couldn't pay me to do this or that. Uh, I've heard that said, and maybe you've said it. I don't know if I've probably said it myself. You couldn't pay me to do that. Well, Balaam was willing to be bought. 
because he was greedy. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was willing to do that which he knew was wrong because he loved money more than he loved doing what was right. Now, false teachers can be characterized by their premium. That is, what is, they, what is it they prize? What is it they are after? What payment would they want? Well, Balaam, greedy Balaam, is the prototype uh, false teacher. Uh, why do they do it? For money. They prophesy for money. They want to get wealthy. They want to take out it out of your pocket and put it in theirs. That's the bottom line. They're greedy. They're in it for filthy lucre's sake. As Peter says back in 1 Peter chapter 5, and that's what we're not to be. But they do it for money. They always have done it for money. And Balaam kind of is a prototype of all the way through history. Now, there are four features of the path or the way of Balaam. Uh, the first one is, there is a right way, but they go astray. There is a right way, but they go astray. Uh, there is a right way with which they are acquainted, and which maybe on the outside they identify themselves, and they say, well, we're prophets of God. We're Christians. We're pastors. We're preachers. We're teachers. And then that's where their subtlety and deception is. Now, by definite decision, they have gone astray from the straight path, the right way, and they're running around, wandering loose, so to speak. So there is a right way, but they've gone astray. Secondly, er, uh, they accept error rather than healthy doctrine. Uh, they practice evil dressed up in religious robes and teach others that are contrary to the faith, contrary to God's word. They accept error rather than healthy doctrine. And again, as we've already said, they are in it for the money. Not only the money, but they're in it for even uh, the immoral, uh, physical gratification they can get. And that seems to be the pattern of false teachers, false prophets. And then fourthly, they encourage others to follow them. Uh, they encourage others to go down that same pathway. And so we note the false teachers, as to their presumption, to their practices, and then to their premium. That brings us, fourthly, to their prophecies. Their prophecies. Uh, verse 17. Verse 17 says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist, mist of darkness is reserved forever, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that are were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they say they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom uh, a man is overcome, of the same is brought into a bondage. Now, Peter is continuing this portrait by describing what is 
It is that they're emphasizing in their prophecies, in their teachings, uh, or better yet, the character of their teaching. Now, we don't specifically know what their heresy was, but we do know the character of it. And here we find the deceptive nature uh, of it is made very clear. You notice all along the way, he kind of injects some statements about doom and about judgment. Every few verses, there's one of these verses about judgment. There was one back in verse 13. Uh, back in 13, it says, uh, there they uh, have a reward of unrighteousness. That's kind of a, uh, a verse or statement of, of judgment. There's one at the end of verse 14. Uh, he calls them cursed children. And then verse 17, another one here at the end of verse 17 whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. Peter just keeps injecting their doom, their curse. But here he uses two poetic uh, figures that represent two very precious things in the, in the Middle East. Uh, I don't know, I've never had that opportunity to travel to Israel. I suppose if we had our... Uh, Friends, the Armsteads here, they could verify this, but, uh, uh, you know, in east of Israel, uh, that's kind of where a lot of the focus of the world is now. Um, and also in the Persian Gulf and some of those areas that have been in the news uh, in years uh, not that long ago. But we know it's a very arid place. It's a very dry place. It, it's very hot uh, it's a very difficult place, no doubt, to live. In fact, throughout the history of war in Israel, the conquerors and enemies of Israel have most commonly come from the north because even the enemies to the east couldn't cross the desert that was there. And so they have to come to the north and then come down through much more uh, docile land of Lebanon. And uh, it's a very formidable place, a desert well, there are two very precious things there in the desert. And he mentions what they are here in this section. One is wells, or even a spring, we could say, and the second one is rain. You can see how, how important that is. Now, we lived in the great desert of Kansas for a while, uh, they used to call it that <laughs> back in the dirty 30s and so forth when the wind was blowing and, and the dust was dust bowl was going. But we lived out in western Kansas, and water was very important. Uh, we didn't uh, get that much rain. That wasn't a desert. We grew crops, and uh, we uh, had a certain amount of rain. But... Uh, that's what he mentions here. Without wells and without water, without rain, people cannot survive. And when in the midst of the thirst, a man pursues the place where the spring or the well is supposed to be, but it's a well without water. It's a major disappointment when that happens. You say, I'm going to go to that well over there and get some nice cool water. You drop the bucket down and it hits hard on the bottom, it doesn't splash, and boy, that'd be disappointing. 
And so thirsty people here uh, uh, going to a well without water. And that's what Peter's trying to picture for us here. It's a precious commodity in that part of the world, water. Thirsty people living in a hot and dry land go to the well with the promise of having their thirst quenched. But the well is a major disappointment because it promises water that doesn't have any water to give. Now, that's true of false teachers. That's the picture he's giving to us. A lot of promises, but no water. A lot of hope in the hearts of people, but there's nothing to satisfy. And so Peter says, when you look at their teaching for what it really is, it's a promise with disappointment. It's words without meaning. And sadly, their empty words entice people. Very sad. And the sad thing is, people follow. There are many who speak meaningly, uh, meaninglessly. And so here you have their prophecies, like a well without rot, a water and with... The... Now, finally then, notice their... Per... Uh, it's not, it should not be preservation. I put the wrong word there, okay? I meant to put perversion, all right? Not preservation, but perversion. So you make that mental note there and write it down correctly on your notes. Perversion. This is verses 20 through the end of this chapter. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them but it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, the false teachers have a head knowledge of Christ. They, they know some things about the Bible. They know about Jesus. Uh, they know the truth, but they don't love the truth. In fact, they reject what they once professed, and they've become enslaved in some sort of corruption. And you know, there are a lot of people today who are very religious. They may go to a church, but they don't believe the Bible is really the Word of God. Uh, they uh, love to talk about love and brotherhood. Uh, they have beautiful church buildings and lovely services. It makes them feel good. And these people have escaped the pollutions of the world. They're uh, horrified when they read about the crime and the violence in the newspaper. And you see they've escaped the pollutions of the world, but not the corruption of the world. The Bible uh, tells us here, through, knowledge, through the knowledge of the Lord Je and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not that they haven't heard the gospel. They have heard the gospel, but they haven't made it a part of their belief. And Peter says, they are again entangled therein and overcome, and the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now, in this chapter, Peter has dealt very definitely with, with false teachers, those who are creeping in and teaching false doctrines, teaching that which is contrary to the word of God. Peter says they pervert 
the truth of God. And they do it to their own advantage. Now, these false teachers exalt themselves instead of exalting Christ. Now, they don't use the word of God except maybe to point to a verse as a little proof text that kind of clothes their, or their teaching with a pious halo, so to speak, and they use big words, which are counterfeit words. They try to impress people and make people think they're intellectuals, and their interest, but their interest, again, is what? Money. They claim that they can change people. Now, I'm not trying to change you through the knowledge of Christ, but my desire is that if you do not have a personal relationship with him, that you would come to know him as your personal Savior, and not just to know him, but know him in such a way to accept what he has done for you in paying for your sin and promising you everlasting life. I can't give you anything. I can't even promise you anything. I can't change your life. But God can. And he does it through Christ. The Christ who died on the cross for you and was raised from the dead. So it's God that does the changing. I'm, the, I'm his messenger. <laughs> I'm trying to give you what he uh, wants you to know. Listen. Uh, there may be those who are unsaved and have heard the gospel. They never go into the presence of God and tell him, well, we never heard. No, they did hear. And it was worse for them when God pronounces judgment than for any heathen in the darkest part of the earth today. Now, as we wrap this, this up, in closing, Peter looks one last time at these despicable false teachers, and leaves us a very graphic image. Uh, it's not even for those who have a weak stomach. All right? It has happened to them, and they're sinking back into the muck from their original days of wanting to get out. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb. Which proverb is that? It's Proverbs 26 and verse 11. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? That's something we don't even want to think about. And then Peter adds also the sow that, is, that was washed to the wa her wallowing in the mire. And Christianity is full of people who at some point in time wanted to pull themselves out of the muck and the... Uh, get some religion and clean up their life, and many of them uh, became maybe teachers and, and preachers even, and pastors and self-styled prophets. They couldn't get out of the muck, though. And eventually they sunk back into it. Even though they're trying to carry on a ministry, they're driven by the premiums of lust and greed. Every once in a while you'll see them exposed, but Peter says they're like dogs. Dogs who go back to their vomit and pigs who get cleaned up and go back to their muck. By the way, Peter's also uh, borrowing from Jesus. Remember Matthew 7 and verse 6, where Jesus said this, obviously is in Peter's mind, uh, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. 
Neither cast ye your pearls before the swine. Hogs and dogs. All right? You say, why, why does the Bible use these terms to speak about false prophets? Well, in biblical times, dogs were not usually a household pet. You know, we have our dogs and so forth, uh, in, and uh, uh, they're... Uh, they were not usually the household pet. Uh, they were used sometimes to herd sheep. But largely they were mongrels, dirty, greedy, snarly, often diseased, vicious, dangerous, and even despised. And they were just likely to eat their own vomit as anything else. And the Jews treated dogs with contempt because of their filth. Uh, they lived on garbage. Uh, they carried disease. They ate the garbage and then returned to eat what the garbage produced in them. Told you this was disgusting. But this is the picture that Peter is painting of false teachers. And pigs were the epitome of uncleanness. Pigs, too, are greedy, vicious, filthy animals that Jesus said would tear you to pieces. Jesus said, don't give holy things to dogs and don't give pearls to swine. They'll trample them on the way to their vomit and back to their mud. So they both return to the filth, and that's just what false teachers do. You have no doubt heard the story of the prodigal son, right? Well, Peter gives us here of the prodigal pig returning to his mud. The prodigal son... I don't believe was lost. I don't think he's a, a picture of a lost man, not a, a sinner who becomes a son, but he was a son who became a sinner. He went wayward. He, but it's always a son. He was always uh, the father's son, and he returned to his father. Now the prodigal pig is lost, can't get cleaned up, because he always goes back to his mud. And so... Says Peter, this is the characterization. We need to stay away from them. We need to be aware that they, they exist. In fact, if we read the first two verses of chapter 3, it says, this, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Well, that's where we'll start next time. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Let's pray.